What's up, guys? It's the Blue Bloods coming at you with another episode today. We're continuing our Big Ten and 31 Days theme here, and we are joined by Zach Osterman, who covers the Indiana Hoosiers and college sports for the Indy Star. I just wanted to say I appreciate you joining me today. No, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Always fun to talk football. (laughs) Oh, yeah, for sure. And so I feel like we got to start with last year. They, uh, the Hoosiers went 6-2, and two, were a top-10 team at times this year. And then COVID canceled some games. We saw Michael Penix go down with an injury, put a small damper toward the end of the season, but they recovered real nicely after the injury, winning all the way up until their bowl game. Did this season exceed, meet, or fall short of your preseason expectations? Well, I don't think there's any question I think it exceeded everybody's you know preseason expectations and obviously I think we all expected it to be you know a strange season with some strange results and um, you know I think I think everyone broadly speaking expected Indiana to be good you know uh, they'd gone eight and four the previous season they returned the lion's share of their production on both sides of the ball Um, you know but to be to kind of accomplish that much that quickly I think was was maybe the surprise and to just be so, um, you know, consistently competitive, obviously all the way up until the bowl game, which I think remains a disappointment for people within the program, but not one that, that necessarily, you know, uh, detracts or subtracts from the the excitement of the season. Um, you know, I mean, the, the reality is as, as strange of a year as it was, it was certainly one of the banner years in IU football history for a variety of different reasons. Um, and I think that that's, you know, even those of us, including me, that thought Indiana would be good in 2020, uh, probably didn't see, um, probably didn't quite see that coming, you know. <laughs> right. And, you know, that season was kind of led on. I mean, the explosion of Michael Penix Jr. onto the college football scene. I, I, I heard about this kid. I knew he was good, but I don't think anyone expected to do what he did, throw in for over 500 yards in Columbus being the heart and soul of this team, scoring the game-winning two-point conversion against Penn State. What makes him such a special quarterback, and what are your expectations for him coming off a big injury like he had last year? Well, that's going to be interesting. I mean, um, you know, certainly you you saw what Michael Penix was capable of in his redshirt freshman season. Um, You know, if anything, there were ways in which he wasn't as good last year as he was in 2019. Um, and I, I, you know, I suspect a fair bit of that is down to just Indiana sort of having to water some parts of its offense down because COVID meant that the way you practice, the way you prepared. I mean, there, there was a point, uh, Tom Allen remarked at one point, I think late in the off season that they couldn't have five offensive linemen in the same drill together because of, um, because of COVID protocols and, and, you know, the, the, the degree to which they wanted to keep people separate and, you know, their, their little sort of workout pods distanced from one another. Um, and so I think there were a lot of programs, including Indiana, that almost just sort of had to say, we're kind of going to go all in on, on, you know, this small fundamental number of things that we think can really work for us because we don't have time to get really layered and install our entire playbook and, you know, go on and on and on. Um, but I think you still saw what you saw more of, you know, if it, there was kind of a, an efficiency to Michael Penix's game as a redshirt freshman. I think what you saw more, at least anecdotally, in sophomore year was his explosiveness. The Ohio State game being the obvious example, but even if you look at, you know, what he did uh, toward the end of the game against Penn State, what he did against Michigan, what he did against Michigan State, 
Um, you know, you, you see why really from the time he got on campus, he enrolled early uh, in January 2018. And from that moment, you know, Indiana has been, Indiana staff has been pretty consistent and, and not necessarily piling pressure onto him, but in, in terms of not shying away from talking about how good they think he can be. And, you know, we're talking about a kid who in 2019 beat out um, a, a returning starter for that quarterback job. And Peyton Ramsey, obviously a very good quarterback in his own right, Peyton Ramsey. And um, I think that what you really kind of, you know, the only really big question with Penix will be the injuries, you know, and, right. and, you know, obviously coming off the ACL again and, you know, haven't had some other injury, you know, issues, a shoulder thing and all that, you know, can he get to a point where physically, you know, he can take that wear and tear? Because obviously even as IU improves, it's not like they're going to go an entire season without allowing a sack, you know, without allowing right. their quarterback to get hit. So if they can keep him healthy, um, and he's expected to be healthy for the start of, of the regular season. Um, he'll be active in spring, but limited, as you'd expect. If they can keep him healthy and given a, a much more sort of normal year for Nick Sheridan to kind of develop the whole offense, you know, not just maybe specific pockets of it, I think. Um, I mean, I, I think he genuinely has a chance to be the best quarterback in the Big Ten. Justin Fields is going now. I'm not saying he will be, but I think he'll be in that conversation now that Justin Fields is is moving on to the NFL. Right. Uh, I think he will be as well. I I had him number two last year behind Fields and what he did, as we can imagine. But on the other side of the football, an underrated aspect of Indiana, I don't feel like got enough respect, was this top 20 defense. They were top 20 in scoring defense. That's a long ways from the 120th ranked defense that was there before Tom Allen took, took the head coaching job. Taiwan Mullen might be my favorite defensive player in the Big Ten. He's a stud corner. But Kane Womack is headed to South Alabama to be their head coach. But Charlton Warren comes in from Georgia this season to step into that defensive coordinator role. What do you expect from Warren? And do you think the pieces are there for Indiana to have one of the best defenses in the country? Yeah, I mean, possibly. I think I think there's actually quietly some, some pieces that, that they got to replace on that side of the ball that may be more impactful than, than what they've lost offensively. I think in particular, Jamar Johnson, I think Jamar Johnson was, um, you know, just to, to be honest with you, probably as good of a defensive player as Indiana's had. And I, I don't think he's the only one that you could say this about. I think this applies to Michael McFadden. I think it applies to Taiwan Mullen. Um, but, you know, when you play that four two five, what you're really trying to do is be versatile. Because in, in in modern football defense, you know it's 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 not it's not rigid like it is in a video game anymore. You know, what I mean, like Indiana played technically a four down scheme, but you'd see you know one end standing up probably fifty sixty percent of the time. Now it still behaves like a a four man front, you know, and it still behaves like a four two five. But the point is, what you're what you're what you're trying to do, I think, when you play that scheme, is you're trying for versatility. And Jamar Johnson could give you all that. He tackled beyond his size. He's got great ball skills. He's incredibly athletic. Um, you know, he was as good as anybody Indiana had in disguising coverages. And I think that was just absolutely crucial for, you know, when you saw Indiana lead the, the country in interceptions 
Um, I think I think by the end of the year they were still leading the country in interceptions, even after all the bowl games. And so, you know, replacing a guy like that will be tough. Um, they've got some some interior line depth to replace on that side of the ball, and obviously, uh, as you talk about, there a, a new um, coordinator to bring in. But I think the one thing that that I found myself thinking a lot, and I think this is true, uh, you know, I, I'm not saying Tom Allen's Nick Saban because he's you know nobody's Nick Saban. Um, and I think I see those those Auburn jerseys. Yeah, uh, my, my stepmother went to Auburn, so don't. Oh, that's awesome. I'm praising Nick Saban, but, um, but you know what, what's true of coaches like that, and and just generally coaches that are successful. I think maybe Pat Fitzgerald is a good Big Ten comparison. This is Tom Allen's defense, you know, and and you can talk about personnel here, and you know, coaching, you know, staff there, and, and whatever, and that's going to change. And, and yes, better players are going to make your team better, and and on and on. But like the defense, as long as the head coach stays there the defense and the structure of the defense and the, the philosophy behind the defense are going to remain. And so I think that's the one piece of it that even as you talk about, well, what will Charlton Warren bring? Well, probably something different from Kane Womack, you know, what, how will Indiana replace Jamar Johnson? Well, they probably won't just stick some guy in there and ask him to do everything Jamar Johnson did or everything Jerome Johnson did at the three technique or whatever. They'll adjust based on, you know, different preferences and skills and whatever. But, but the baseline will remain. And to your point about what Indiana was defensively under Tom, uh, before Tom Allen arrived, I mean, I, I don't, and I don't say this flippantly, I don't think I'd ever covered a truly good Indiana defense. You know, some defenses that maybe could be opportunistic at times, could make some plays in the air, you know, on the ball in the air, could pressure a little bit, but could genuinely just kind of go nose to nose with you. You know, the, like the way Indiana beat Wisconsin, went up to Wisconsin, No, Michael Penix played an incredibly low-scoring, grinded-out, low-possession game, very much the kind of game we've been accustomed to Wisconsin winning over the last 20 years, and Indiana wins that game. Um, you know, that's that's down to individual players, but it's also down to the sort of undercurrent kind of values of, or, you know, whatever fundamentals, whatever word you want to use of that defense, and that comes from Tom Allen. And that I think is is as long as that's there, I think Indiana's okay. Right, and so you know, getting to Tom Allen, like he was brought in in 2016, he's made Indiana a contender, and things are looking even more up in the in the future now. What makes him such a good coach, and how has he been so successful with his rebuild of this program? You know, to, to be honest. Um, I mean, that's that's a question I've tried to answer for the last couple of years. I mean, I think that's that's been kind of the, the central theme of, of my own coverage for the last couple seasons. The one thing I come back to all the time is belief. And I know that's kind of one of those vague coach speak things, but belief is not easy at Indiana. You know, I mean, this this is the losingest Power Five program ever. Um. You know, like, I mean, there's programs that have won more bowl games in the last five years than Indiana's won in its history. Um, this is a place, you know, obviously people say, well, basketball school and culturally this and all that. It kind of goes more fundamental than that. This is just a place that has gotten football wrong. With the, you know, the absent a couple really good seasons under John Pond, obviously some, some good football around World War II, if you want to go back that far. And then the Bill Mallory era. This is just a place that has consistently gotten football wrong up until about 
2011, 2012. And, and when I say that, I don't just mean coaching hires. I mean the way they spend their money on it, how much they invest in it, you know, um, how much they, they market it to alumni and boosters and try to make it sort of a centerpiece of the department's message and all that. You know, it, it wasn't really till Kevin Wilson showed up that I think Indiana started asking. I think this is where Wilson really helped Indiana. Um, was, you know, Indiana started asking, what do you do to behave like a big-time football program? How do you, how do you strength train? kind of facilities do you need? How do you, how do you evaluate in recruiting? Um, you know, how do you make sure that the, you know, the, there's, there's as much long-term value, maybe not skill, but value in, in you, you know, the 20th best player in your recruiting class is the second best player in your recruiting class. And I think that Indiana had built a lot of that up before Allen took over in 2016. And, uh, you know, the, the, the infrastructure had really never been better for, for IU football at that point. And then I think from there, you know, the consistent theme has just been whenever in, whenever Allen needed somebody to believe in him, they did. Um, you know, Frank Glass, Indiana's AD at the time, hired him without a coaching search. He'd never been a head coach in college. He'd only been a college coach in any form for 10 years. He'd only been coaching at the, the Division One level, I think, for six. Um, but Frank Glass walked in the room that night in December 2016 and just said that no interim tag – you know, no hill interview for the position. This is our head coach, and he took a lot of criticism for that. But obviously, it's it's you know it's it's gone back in the other direction now. And you know, I think people like Fred are probably rightly you know sort of uh, proud that they did that. But then when you talk about a Taiwan Mullen, you know, I mean Taiwan Mullen is the brother of a, an Oakland Raider. He played in what we, what we now we used to call the Army All American game. Indiana only ever had two Army All Americans all time. One of those was was from the state and one was a kicker, you know I mean? Like, like it, it, kids like that don't come to Indiana and I can find you. I mean, Michael Penix picked Indiana over Florida state. Look at Florida state's quarterback situation right now and tell me that Florida state wouldn't have been thrilled to get Michael Penix, you know, in its program Um, in, in 2018, kids like that don't pick Indiana, but they believed in Tom Allen. And when you get that belief, whether it's from your boss your coaching staff, your players, whoever. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's in hiring, it's in recruiting, but it's also in, you know, come in here at 6 a.m. and get better today. And, you know, trust me when we make this play call late in the fourth quarter, what, whatever it is, just that, that fundamental belief that can be very difficult at a place that has not had much success, does not have much proof of, you know, what happens when you do buy in. I think it's just made a world of difference. And then I think the other thing with Allen too, and again, these are, these are these intangible coach speak things, but I do think they matter is he's, he's stuck to it. And at times, you know, people have made fun of the LEO mantra. They made fun of him when he had, you know, when, when he had, you know, catchphrases like breakthrough and things like that, but it never really seemed to bother him. It never felt like, it always felt like that stuff was for his players and his coaches. And it never felt like that stuff was for the media or, you know, to put on a poster and, and when it got lampooned, when he was going five and seven and losing to Purdue, um, he, he stuck with it. And I think that it's, it's, it's a simple thing to say. It's a harder thing to do in the face of public pressure. After he went five and seven in his second season, there were a lot of people, a lot of IU fans that felt that the, the program had wasted an opportunity um, to capitalize on those back-to-back bowls in 15 and 16 but again, the, the patience, the persistence, and, and the ability to just keep everyone involved 
along for the ride, I think has been, um, it's been remarkable to see because again, it's, it, this is not a place where just a, a little bit of success will suddenly raise that ceiling considerably. Um, it, it, you got to work for it at Indiana, but it's paying off for him for sure. Right. And, you know, I want to shift to this upcoming season. We ha- we see some new faces, some returning faces like Penix and Mullen. Who are some players, though, that we might not know about yet that you think could really shine and have their breakout season in 2021? Why don't I go to the roster while we, uh, while we have it? <laughs> I think there's, you know, the, a couple that come to mind. One would be Miles Marshall, who um, is probably not going to get a, a ton of pub this this offseason he was indiana's third leading receiver a year ago he'll be a redshirt junior or if you if you want to see it as a redshirt sophomore with the way that you know the 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 extra year for covid um affects things um and he's probably not going to get a ton of attention because ty freifogel is coming back but he was actually quietly a really good kind of compliment to freifogel last year and if he dropped like a he was wide open and dropped like a 58-yard touchdown pass at Wisconsin. I mean, he he, he got over top of the defense there was some bust in, in between the safeties and um if he caught that um he basically would have had Ty Freifogel's 2019 season in 2020. And I think that, you know, Freifogel is going to be the focal point receiver because of how good he is. He's reigning Big 10 receiver of the year. Um but I think Marshall is is a guy that quietly could be very good um, for this team. And if you know, depending on how Nick Sheridan wants to open up that passing attack, does he kind of want to have two focal boundary receivers? That kind of thing. I think Fry, uh, I think Marshall's a guy that that could really. I think I said Freifogel there. Forgive me. I think Marshall's a guy that could stand to really benefit from that. I'm curious about both returning running backs, Stevie Scott who's been the starter the last three years is off to the NFL behind him. They've got a kid named Samson James who's, who's flashed. He was a four star out of Indianapolis and IU actually flipped him from Ohio state. And he's, he's had his moments, but I don't think he's ever really gotten consistent enough carries to really show what he can do. And then the guy next to him is Tim Baldwin, who will be a a second year player again, however you want to see that Um, had a hundred yard game against, I think Maryland earlier this year. And, you know, a little bit more of an explosive runner, a little bit more of kind of a, um, you know, kind of a seams guy that puts his foot in the ground and gets up a seam. And, um, you know, Indiana's brought Dylan McCullough back. He was their running backs coach for six seasons, and then he went to USC and then the NFL. Um, but he was a running backs coach when uh, both Tevin Coleman and Jordan Howard were in Indiana. And not that they're perfect comparisons, but, like, there's some Tevin Coleman and Tim Baldwin. There's some Jordan Howard and Samson James. And I can kind of see, you know, I can see a little bit of that. Um, I, I think I think yeah, I can see at least one of those guys, you know, maybe in a year where, again, Indiana doesn't have to cut sections out of the playbook because it doesn't have time to teach them. Um, could take a big step forward. On defense, it, it is going to be interesting to really kind of get a sense for, like, where where Indiana kind of goes next defensively. I think Sio Nofonga Totoa, um, he's a one technique and a, a really, really good one. Um, DeMarcus Elliott is is gone now. The, the two of them kind of shared that one technique spot. I think Seal is a guy that is, is potentially going to get even more um, snaps and, and 
potentially take a, another pretty big step forward. I'm interested in DK Bonham, who's a linebacker that I think they're probably going to move more to kind of that strong side rush end position. He had some some moments last year where he made some really good plays. Again, sort of spot duty. It wasn't a guy that was playing a lot, but you know he was in there. I think he may have had a safety. I think he recovered a fumble at one point. And as the season went on, it seemed like you started to see more of him, like like the, the, the staff was trusting him more and he was trusting himself more. And it was kind of, it was all kind of coming together the way that you'd expect. And um, the one other one I'd, I'd throw out too is another defensive lineman um, named Demarche Lewis, who um, Indiana actually got out of uh, Georgia, Griffin, Georgia, south of Atlanta, and was a guy the staff really, really liked. He was a three technique. Um, they just didn't have any room for him because, you know, they just, I mean, they had, they had two fifth year, three techniques because they got a grad transfer from Stanford and, and they had a fifth year guy from within the program named Jerome Johnson who wound up playing in the senior bowl. So um, they just, I mean, they just, they just didn't have the, the snaps to give him, but I think that you could see a year on here, a lot more of him. And I'm not, if nothing else, I'm just intrigued to kind of see maybe more of him, even in like spring practice, you know, we're, we're going to be sitting up on a hill far away watching spring practice. It's not going to let us near the team, which is understandable, but at least we'll get to sit outside and, and watch some, some football. Even in a setting like spring practice, I'd be curious to see DeMarge Lewis and, you know, does he pop off and do we see maybe some of the same things that um, the staff saw because it's, you know, one of the more insignificant things that we lost, but still sort of amusing things we lost to COVID is when people would ask me last fall, Who's surprising you? Who's who's improved? Who's stepping up? It's like I don't know. I can't go to practice, right? Um, and so I think it's 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 going to be really interesting. I'm looking forward to, to spring ball up here. Uh, it's actually been nice the last few days. Highs in the 60s and um, not super not super cold. And so I think uh, I think it could be interesting to kind of run the rule over some of those young guys that um, you know Indiana's actually had this in a, for a couple of years now brought in some recruiting classes with some really promising young players, maybe more so higher ceiling players than we've seen Indiana recruit in the past. But because Indiana had so much experience on top of them, there just wasn't a lot of room for them to play. I think now that's when you're going to start seeing some of those guys. And I think Lewis is one. I think James is one. You know, there's there's other guys on this uh, roster that I think now all of a sudden it's kind of going to be their time to step into some of those bigger roles. Right. I mean, I'm looking forward to it. I'm glad y'all get to go to spring practice. I know that has to be so frustrating to cover, can't go. And, you know, speaking of that now, they might be opening up stadiums this next year. And the Hoosiers have a difficult schedule, to say the least. They open up in Kinnick Stadium against Iowa. They have a Cincinnati team who was a top 10, borderline top five team also on the schedule. They also have road trips to Penn State and Michigan plus always the Ohio State game on the schedule, which is going to be a huge one. What do you see, based on the breakout players, this tough schedule, what do you think the ceiling and or floor could be for this 2021 team? Yeah, I mean, I, this is still just a little bit kind of life in the Big Ten East. Um, you know, I think I think that there are a couple things that are interesting about this. First of all, it's just those first four games. Cincinnati looks like it's still going to be very tough. Obviously, anytime you go to Iowa, it's tough. If Indiana can get out of those first four, maybe three and one, certainly four and oh would be fantastic. Three and one, I think, would still be really, really good because then, as you said, you got to go to Penn State. 
you know, it's kind of hard to know what Michigan State's going to be right now. Mel Tucker's just, I mean, he's been dealt maybe the worst hand in the league. I think somebody pointed out he had like one week of off-campus recruiting. That's that's all he's gotten so far um, because of everything that's going on. And then you've got Ohio State. Um, the one thing that, that when the Big Ten reshuffled its schedule, the one thing that did happen for Indiana is they got off this rotation where, because they, they play an imbalance, they play an unbalanced home away schedule. They play a nine-game schedule in the Big Ten. Um, so every year, Indiana either had five home games and played Penn State and Michigan State at home or had four home games and played Michigan and Ohio State at home. And historically, it's not like Indiana's had a ton of success against any of those four programs, but they've been more competitive with Penn State and Michigan State. And so, like, it's kind of all or nothing in a way because, it, it you know, even if the even if the playing field was a little more level, it still sort of felt like those four home game years, you already dealt two losses in the Big Ten at home. And they've broken that up now. So Michigan State and Ohio State will be the home games going forward in the rotation during uh, uh, four four game four home game seasons in Penn State and Michigan will be in the five home game seasons. Um, I think the other thing that's kind of interesting for Indiana is, and again, we don't we don't know. I'm I'm always hesitant. I mean, two years ago when Indiana went eight and four, we looked at their schedule and we said they got to go to Nebraska, they got to play the reigning Big Ten West champions in Northwestern. That's a really tough schedule. And then they wound up going eight four and and you know basically beating everybody except Michigan State, Penn State, Michigan, and Ohio State. Um, but I think one thing that is interesting for Indiana is especially if you can get off to a strong start there in the first four games. Again, maybe like three and one. Your last five are at Maryland, at Michigan, Rutgers, Minnesota, at Purdue. So only one of your last five is one of those you know sort of quote unquote big four. In the Big Ten East, it's probably a big three right now. Michigan State's kind of fallen behind. But only only one of your last five is one of those sort of Big Ten East programs that everybody's always concerned with reckoning with. And I think that if Indiana can get itself into a place where, you know, let's say they're even, even like four and three going into those last five, then another eight-win season, I think, is very realistic. And, and I know, listen, I, I know there are IU fans who will say, well, came so close to winning the Big Ten East last season, that should be the expectation again this season. And internally, they, you know, they, they probably feel that way. But I also think that from just from a, a neutral perspective, sort of an objective perspective, what Indiana needs more than anything else is to develop a culture of winning. Again, this is a program that for so long, it just it was synonymous with just being just bad, bad football, constantly at the bottom of the league or maybe 10th out of 11 teams or ninth out of 11 teams trying to squeak out six wins a year. You've got a program here now that's gone to bowl games in four of the last six years that has owned its rivalry against its in-state rival recently that is recruiting at a better level, spending at a higher level, you know, hiring at a higher level than it ever has before. The, the higher you can achieve, the better. But I think the baseline just needs to be establishing a culture of winning and just where like suddenly one day you look up and you say, you know, in the last year, last eight years, Indiana has been to six bowls and, and all of a sudden they're recruiting top 30 classes. And the only time they're losing coaches, it's to, you know, absolute top five programs or to the NFL. Um, Because that's, that's, 
what has made it so harming, you know, in college football, it very much is that chicken and egg thing. Like what can come first? But once you've got a little bit of that, I don't think you can suddenly just say, well, if we don't now succeed at an even higher level, it's a failure. It's more a way of saying, how do we, how do we, we've raised the floor on this. How do we cement that and sort of get, get to a point where just culturally the floor is bowl games and then you can build, you know, again, on top of that. So I think that, I think a, a good season for Indiana next year would be eight and four, nine and three. A great season would be anything beyond that. Um, and, you know, we'll, we, I'm just a little hesitant to kind of say, oh, Indiana could pop up and, you know, beat Ohio State to the east when you've got question marks about Michael Penix, about a, you know, a, a quietly a, a number of guys that have gone on to the NFL or elected not to use their last, that, that extra COVID year. But I still think it's a team that is is more than good enough to see in the bowl field, finishing with a winning record, you know, pushing, almost playing as a, you know, maybe a peer to your Penn States and your, um, and your Michigans and your Michigan States in a year where I don't necessarily think any one of those programs can just assume that they are the class of the conference either. Right. And, you know, last question here. I love asking this question. I haven't been able to make it up to a game in Memorial Stadium yet, but just covering the team, being around the program, what makes Bloomington, that city, Memorial Stadium, such a unique environment on game days? Well, it's, you know, I mean, it's, I mean, the, the old joke is uh, that, you know, 100,000 people come tailgate and only 35,000 of them go to the stadium. I think, I think what's going to be interesting is to see there's, there's undeniably been more interest and excitement around um, IU football the last couple of years, even going back to 2019 in terms of attendance. And, and, you know, the thing I use always fought is getting all those people into the stadium. Um, but I don't know that that's necessarily going to be as big of a problem if we're back to full attendance by fall 2021. But I mean, genuinely, as, as somebody who grew up in SEC country, I grew up in Atlanta. Um, from a tailgate perspective, it's 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 very similar. I mean, it's you know all the lots are full. It spreads out for a mile in every direction around the stadium. And I mean, if you've you you know basically those those like crisp fall days from like late October to the end of the season down in SEC country. That's what, that's what Bloomington has from mid September on. Um, and, you know, again, maybe it doesn't always filter all the way into Memorial stadium. Um, but you definitely get the, you know, just the a very sort of collegial football vibe. Um, and if you want to have some fun, there are certainly places, there are certainly lots and, uh, field certain certain spots you can hit that uh, keep things lively on game day. So at Memorial Stadium, the other thing too to say about Memorial Stadium is it is it only seats about fifty three. Um, you know, it's and it's I don't think Indiana ever really wants it to be much bigger. I think Indiana's okay with having a smaller stadium that's a little bit easier to get full and make it feel cozy. Um, but I think that uh, they have closed in both the north and the south end zones for basically more team facilities in the last 10 years. And it's gone from looking like a glorified high school stadium to looking like a genuine, you know, sort of aesthetically pleasing big 10 stadium as well. And I think that's, I think that's gone hand in hand with not necessarily, you know, getting more fans in or whatever, but certainly recruiting better, staffing better. It's, it's again, when Indiana's maybe been able to, to say we're more serious about football and, you don't have to take our word for it because here's us putting our money where our mouth is. 
Right. And I definitely want to get up to a game. Hopefully, you know, this year I would love to come to the Cincinnati game. Um, yeah, I have some I have some people I know in Indiana, Ohio area now, so I have somewhere to go. So hopefully I can make it out to a game pretty soon. But, man, I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to come on the podcast, talk Indiana football with me. Where can our listeners find you? Where can they f- find anything you do that you want to plug and get some more eyes on? Yeah, no, I appreciate you you having me too. It's, uh, it's always fun talking football. Like I said, it's indystar.com slash sports, I-N-D-Y star uh, dot com slash sports, or I guess my Twitter handle, Z-A-C-H-O-S-T-E-R-M-A-N. So, um, like I said, I mean, IU football's hot right now. I never thought I'd say that. <laughs> never thought, never <laughs> thought say IU football was cooler than IU basketball, but it undeniably is right now. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see kind of where these next couple seasons go because I think it, it you know, even as much as I talk about, you know, not raising expectations too fast, they are raised. You know, they are still raised. And I think that the question for Indiana is, you know, how do you, how do you keep sort of making these incremental improvements when maybe they get a little bit harder to make year on year? Right. I mean, we covered India, so many Indiana games this year on the podcast. We picked like six to 10 of the biggest games of the week. And I think we over half the weeks of the year, we had an Indiana game and I never thought, I mean, we were picking Indiana games over SEC games and we're SEC based podcast. Me and uh, my co-host that does most of the regular season with me and both from Mobile, Alabama. So most of our listening base is down there, but man, we were covering Indiana the whole time. We both were just obsessed with what Michael Penix was doing. Taiwan Mullen was one of my breakout players this year. So I've been keeping up with Indiana, man. And it's, it's definitely exciting, but I appreciate you coming guys. We'll be back later this week with another episode. Y'all know where y'all can find us. We're going to continue our big 10 and 31 days later this week. But for Zach and Zach and the Blue Bloods, we are out. <laughs>